Welcome to Networking Collective Off the Cuff. We are at SDXE in Austin and we are software defining all the things. Um, we had a great presentation today and have had several conversations around network disaggregation. So we have some guests here to talk about that so we can uh, share network disaggregation with all of you. So today we are gonna start with Pete. Why don't you introduce introduce yourself and tell us where we can find you. Hey, I'm Pete Lumpus. Uh, I'm a technical marketing engineer at Cumulus Networks. And you can find me on Twitter at Pete CCDE. Pete CCDE. That's really cool. C -C -D -E. I'm just Russ White. I'm just sitting next to the guy with the turtle rocket. It's a great shirt. It's, it's a great shirt. It is it's one really of the coolest is. logos uh, can, in all of technology. It, it, There's it, no it, doubt it about really it. is. The turtle rocket is really yeah. cool. Um, you can find me at rule11.tech. And on LinkedIn, of course, I mean, I, you know, have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> contractually obligated. I'm contractually yeah. obligated. <laughs> I'm Jeff Sensura. You can find me at ATF and I blog on LinkedIn, surprisingly. Why is that surprising? Next to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Russ, why don't you kick us off by helping us understand a little bit about what network disaggregation is. Okay, so the basic idea in my head when I talk about network dis disaggregation, and these two are going to disagree with me before this is over with, and that's okay, is that you're essentially separating the software from the hardware in your network device. So today we go to Cisco Juniper Arista, can we just say CJA or something, you know, to, to make it, yeah, you know, whoever it is. The mainstream anyway, networking vendors. Yeah, the mainstream Jack. networking vendors. Yes, Jack. Juniper, Arista, and Cisco. There you go, Jack, that's it, yes. But you have to remember Extreme is in there and stuff like that. Right? Jace. Jace, okay, whatever. So you go to these guys and you buy an appliance and you rack it and you stack it and you plug it in and you configure it and that, that's how you build your network. Disaggregation looks at the world from a different perspective. It says, I want to buy my hardware from someone and I want to buy my software from someone else. Very fundamental concept, but to me, it radically changes the way we build networks. It's a completely different perspective on networking. I mean, isn't this what we've been doing on the system side for decades now? Buying our hardware from one vendor and software from another vendor? Of course. So why haven't we done it on the networking side until recently? Because we like our CLIs. <laughs> <laughs> because we love nerd knobs. I mean, I think the, the big thing is there's not been, I mean, you're absolutely right, but there hasn't been a, a push in the marketplace. Um, I think part of that has been just the hardware that's been required for network devices, right? We have these... Customized ASICs. Customized ASICs, and until Broadcom came along, it was really hard to get something that was both general and good, or at least good enough. See, we don't remember that 20 years ago, all right, I'm old. I'll just say it, I'm old. 20 years ago, we had microservices architecture. We had x86, which was every new chipset Intel came out with had actually a different set of functions that you could do in the chip and registers and stuff. And there was 16-bit and then 32-bit and 64-bit and multi-core and all this other stuff. And then you had AMD who actually had their own play on x86, but it wasn't exactly the same. You actually had to compile programs to run on, on x86 versus AMD. And then you had risk-based processors and you had all these different processors and Macs for a long time were risk-based. 
And so you had to actually buy software that was specific to that hardware, just like you do in the networking market today. And we often forget that when the when all of the stuff about PCI bus came along and microchannel fell off the side of the world and everything else happened, it actually created a unified like a wasp waste in that market where a single API became the rule of everything. And we've never had that in the networking world. And I think that's... And I think that's exactly it, right? There's not been that marketplace to allow anybody to come along and do something there. And so Cisco made a chip and Juniper made a chip and they were different chips and so they had different programs and different operating systems. And I think Arista was really kind of the first entrant in the market to say, you know what, we're going to take the common chip. I mean, they weren't the first ones to use Broadcom. They were the first ones to kind of build a business around it. Right. And then I think on top of that, you've seen companies like Cumulus or Big Switch or any of the other kind of white box, bright box vendors come along and say, you know what, we're going to build a switch and all the switches are going to have some minor differentiation, but at the end of the day, it's like x86. And so you have a server and a server from Dell and a server from HP is a little bit different, but on top of that, you put whatever software works for you, whether that means Windows, whether that means Linux, whether that means a, a specific flavor of Linux. Well, what works, what works for you? Right, and I think revolutionary to this is that <clears throat> In the, in the server world, a GPU is just a, something that sits on the PCI bus. Me, you know, memory and everything just sits on the PCI bus. You still need the drivers, so. You still need the drivers, right. But in the networking world, the core has always been the ASIC, has always been the switching engine. And I think part of the revolution in disaggregation is this concept that I'm going to move away from having my core be the ASIC and actually having a processor that sits on the box that runs an operating system, and then you just have a driver for the ASIC, which treats it much more like a server. So routing software has been there forever, Quagga, 15 years old, right? What we didn't have a really way to access ASIC, the access to SDK was restricted and quite expensive. Yes. And there was no incentive for ASIC vendors to expose their capabilities. Yes. So back to Pete's comment about ecosystem, it's really drivers from on one side, ASIC vendors, there are more ASIC vendors than ever. On the other side, there's more software that can potentially be run on a router or switch. And combination of these factors really brings us to the decoupling of life cycle of software to life cycle of hardware. Right. And I think the hyperscalers have played a part in this as well. Yeah. You know, Google and Facebook have driven this because they got to the point where they were tired of paying those prices for those chips. And they said, this is silly. So that, that raises a question then, is it a price conversation or why, why should network operators start thinking about disaggregation? What, what value does it bring or what, uh, why, I guess? I think it's a very natural step. There's natural mismatch in life cycle of software and hardware. Hardware, we are probably around 18 months. Software, it could be as much as buy, few hours, buy this right? every two years. Most of the time. You buy that every two years. You buy a laptop, you buy this every two years. But you don't buy a new operating system every two years. So in a way, hardware life cycle is kind of in a way of innovation and software. So I would really like to decouple this two and move at speed your ecosystem allows you to. I mean, I think a good example is we've probably all either seen a network or talked to somebody who's not moved away from their Catalyst 6500s to a Nexus because... Yeah, Cat 5000. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, no. I think, I think you actually used a Brontosaurus to rack and stack. 
a Cat 5000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a specialized but, piece of equipment. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a catalyst. Yes. Brontosaurus. But, but they, you know, I, I've seen customers who are still on Cat 6500s because they don't want to move to NXOS and the hardware, right? Because I'm moving both hardware and software, and so the shift becomes too large. Yes. And I think that's one of those things where in the, in the disaggregated market, we see customers a lot of times uh, start with a Dell or an HPE to get a switch and run, say, Cumulus on it. And then, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of it's business driven. So some people love doing business with Dell and they'll continue doing that. And then others just say, look, it's way cheaper for me to go, from, go with a switch from another vendor. I'm going to replace that underlying switch, but keep that same operating system and I don't care. And I'm going to get the next generation of chipset and put a new switch in with a new chipset and keep that same operating system. And you know what? Although it's a little bit more work, if Cumulus isn't delivering, well, I'm going to kick Cumulus out and put Big Switch in on that same hardware. I mean, that's, to me, where really the revolution is. We've never been able to do anything like that. However, yeah. even if traditional vendors, some of them at least would allow you to do the same. So there's a Juniper box, Broadcom base, that allows you to run. It's not fu fully fully featured Junos, but it is a Junos. Uh, I believe Cisco is going to yeah, do something Cisco, similar Cisco very has, soon. Cisco has a bunch but I think uh, 3K yeah. or FRR on pre-range routing. Yeah, like and, that. and even that, I mean, that comes back, though, to what you were talking about with you need that, that common layer of understanding that we have in the server space. So Juniper has a switch that is open, but they don't actually publish those specs, so I can only install Junos on it. You know, if I look at Nexus 3K, yeah, it's Broadcom based. It's the same hardware as, say, a Dell switch, but I can't install Dell OS 10 on it because they're not opening up those specs to allow somebody to write to it. Which is which is really about the LED fan. It's not about the ASIC, actually. It's about yeah. LED fan. The peripherals. Stuff. Stuff, yeah, stuff that you don't really... I mean, it seems silly that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is, you know, that this is little stuff. It's like, oh, I can't install Windows on this machine. I can only install Ubuntu because of the, the video card only works with Windows, or it only works with Ubuntu. Like, who has ever heard of that? You know, that's really? silly. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just silly, and that's kind of the level we're at sometimes in these things. So Russ said something in the session today that I thought was worth expounding on, believe it or not. And, uh, and he said, your hardware faces your packets, but your software faces the business. Can we talk about that a little bit and, and what kind of value businesses, organizations can get out of that so, mindset? Yeah. yeah, so, you know, working for a hyperscaler, I think this, this, so I spent 16 years at Cisco and two years at Verisign and two years at, at uh, Ericsson Sausages. Right, sausages, yes. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, it's just one of those things. The uh, Ericsson logo looks like three sausages, so everybody who works for Ericsson calls them sausages. Um, so <laughs> we digress. We digress, that's the way it works. Story time with Ross. <laughs> um, and coming to a hyper, working for a hyperscaler, I learned, or I, I now see a lot more of what I've often talked about in the past, even when I worked for these vendors in other places, and what, and what I encountered in VeriSign, is that your software architecture is really tied to your business architecture in ways that you don't understand. 
and people don't realize that there's a tie there between your software architecture and your business architecture. Um, you know, I talk to, I tell the story about going, going to a bank, going to talk, walking to a VP's office at a large bank and saying, what's wrong with your network today? And he said, my problem is, is that I have every, I have installed and I have running in my network everything, every particular architecture that Cisco has ever developed and sold. And, and, and he said, it's insane. I can't manage this. I can't, I can't run this. And I can't make my business work on this. And I think that was the key thing. You can't make your business run on this. At some point, you have to figure out how to make your business run. And your business relies on applications. And your applications ultimately need to be tied to the software you're running if you're going to make your network efficient and actually run. The, the way it should. And we talk about software defined, we talked about we talk about orchestration and stuff like this and overlays and everything. What are you really doing when you do an overlay, like an NSX overlay? You're actually decoupling the hardware from the application. That's what you're doing. And you're doing it for a business reason. So all disaggregation says is we're going to take that one step down and we're going to disconnect the network operating system and the control plane from the hardware more specifically so that I can actually integrate down deeper with my application and my overlay and stuff in a way that makes my business run better. And, and I think a way to create an example for a, probably for most people that aren't hyperscalers is if I look at uh, your average enterprise, I have probably cat like 37 or 3900s in the campus, maybe a cat 4500. I probably have some old like Cisco 6500s in there. I've got Nexus in the data center. I've got ASR 9Ks running iOS XR on the WAN. So I've got one vendor. I've got like six different families of switches and, and, three, and three, three operating, operating, and operating, three operating systems. systems. And there's no uniformity on config, on automation, on feature set. I mean, I don't even configure you know, AAA the same on those three boxes. That's right. That's even right. though it's the exact same protocol. Yep. And I think where you look at disaggregation in reality is you see customers with one gig power over Ethernet, you see customers with one gig out-of-band management, 10 gig top of rack, 25 gig spine, or you know, 40 gig spines, 25 and 100 gig storage, storage pods based on Ethernet. And so you have these different speeds and feeds, different chipsets, different vendors, sometimes not even all Broadcom, right? They might look at Mellanox for storage because of whatever advantage Mellanox brings but then it all runs the same operating system. Yep. So I configure my one gig PoE, the same as my out of band, the same as my 100 gig. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and I think this is why it came out of the hyperscaler world so much, is not just because of the cost, the physical cost of the box, is that when you start pushing 5,000 routers into a single data center fabric or 10,000 routers, you suddenly start realizing that I just can't configure 10,000 routers differently. Uh, unification, ability to replicate exactly the same config, exactly the exactly same behavior is the key to go hyperscale. Yeah, to go hyperscale. This is, a, <clears throat> I think, a really great point. And I, I think it's a segue into, into, I think, a critical question. So this makes sense in the hyperscale world. Does this make sense in large enterprise, medium enterprise, small enterprise? Like where, where does... Where does disaggregation make sense outside of the hyperscale? Everywhere. Okay, so back that up. Tell me why. <laughs> so I think what's important is to look into your cost structure. Disaggregation requires more operational cost, at least in the beginning, because stuff just doesn't work on itself. You, you have really, to ramp up. You, you to need to ramp to up. Yeah. You need to bring good engineers. You need to bring knowledge about how distributed systems work, because now 
there's no vendor who's going to do this for you. However, it gives you ability to acquire hardware almost at cost, cost right? It's cheap. So you need to figure out how your cost structure looks like and where your organization is going with this. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it comes down to a mind shift on a purchasing perspective, which is that rather than hiring engineers by proxy by buying hardware, I'm hiring engineers. Okay. I mean, right? Your engineers are going to engineer. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're hiring the engineer locally in your company, which scares a lot of companies. They don't want engineers. Right. The trend has gone the other way. Right. I mean, exactly. As we've right. been watching the, yes. uh, the industry, the trend has gone the other way. Right. We, we, want, we want simple, you know, push the button, which make the is, network work. Right. Which is outsourcing your engineering resources to the vendor. That's right. exactly what you're doing. So it, it, you're buying the engineer on the margin in the hardware. So what disaggregation does is it says, don't buy the engineer on the hardware margin, buy the engineer and buy the hardware cheap. And so from my perspective, I say that works, that should work for anybody who's willing to make that culture shift. It's not about size. It's about, are you willing to make the culture shift? I mean, of course, there's some size at which, you know, you only need two switches in your entire network. Well, you're not going to go disaggregated, right? But if you have a thousand servers in your data center or 500 servers or whatever the number is. I mean, you hire one engineer and, and you go back to Pete's point. If I'm not just looking at my data center, but I'm doing all my campuses and everything this way, how many routers do I have in my network? 30, 40, 50, 100? At some point, it's worth hiring the engineer rather than paying the margin on the hardware. It's, it's a mindset. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, starting in the data center, hiring the engineer to be the engineer kind of ends up being, I don't want to say the end game, but more of a target to, to, to work towards yes. for a lot of these organizations because they're not going to go, okay, we're going to go disaggregate it. Y'all are fired. Uh, new people come on in, just take their stuff. It's fine. They don't need it anymore. You know, that's not how it's going to work. <laughs> Good. Mine's <laughs> <Most of the, laughs> like flipping out. <laughs> but what, what's going to happen, though, is an organization is going to say, hey, we're going to do something new. Right? That thing that is new is disaggregation. But I like to argue that that's not any different than moving from iOS to Junos. It's a totally different CLI. It's a different support system. It's different docs. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing under the hood. And so you have to be willing to adapt to the fact that it's different. And so you know, I've seen 10-year CCIEs. I've seen people straight out of college and kind of everywhere in between look at this and say, you know what? I'm willing to learn how to do this. And not because it's harder, not because it's radically different, but because it's simply different. And so it's, I, I really don't think that there's any difference on day one when it comes from disaggregation, moving from Cisco to disaggregation, Cisco Arista, to moving to Junos, for example. And I think where it gets more complicated is once you are comfortable with that operational model and you say, okay, we understand BGP, we understand VXLAN, we understand how to get a switch and install software on it separately. What else can we do with this? What can we do from a business perspective to leverage buying compute and network at the same time? Or what can we do to leverage two hardware quotes from two different vendors and then send them to each other and say, beat this, right? Make your vendors actually compete against each other. What can we do from an operations perspective to start saying like, you know what, uh, we took that Python course a couple years back, I could probably blow the dust off that skill set 
and write like EEM scripts on steroids, but without the terrible tools that are available for EEM, and say, well, what if, what if I started missing BGP hellos? I started sending alerts. So the session doesn't go down, but I'm, I'm having some sort of problem. And that's the customers that I see that, you know, after they've understood the operational model, they start to say, well, what else can we do? What can we do from business? What can we do from operations? What can we do from engineering? Right. And how do we then start to let our engineers engineer? So okay. it should all be driven by value creation, right? You don't change from one vendor to another. It's always cost a shade to it. So you really need to understand why are you doing this, not do it just because you took Python course. Absolutely. In the past, right. right. But, but, I think, but I think ultimately what disaggregation is, is it gives you the option of moving, particularly in the ecosystem we have now, where we have vendors like Cumulus and Sixwin and all these other people, that you can actually make that shift to a disaggregated system. And it looks a lot like moving from Cisco to Genos. And then once you've made the shift, now you're in a position to actually execute on are moving away from buying hardware and software at the same time. And there are a variety of flares, right? So the most basic one we discuss is really decoupling software from hardware. So we've done this. There's unified infrastructure. We could use only to boot up images. We've got a variety of open Linuxes to run the system. Next one is pluggability within the software. Right. So since now we run software, so any software product, properly designed software product, should allow us to plug in system right. on top of well-defined APIs. And I think it's important to, to, to stick a, take a step back and describe those components, right? Because on the switch layer, we have the hardware. That hardware runs a BIOS called Oni which is now the industry standard, and that allows you to essentially get into Raman, right? BIOS is industry standard Raman. So now I know how to touch Oni to load an operating system. Now I can get my operating system running on that hardware, spinning the fans, flashing the lights. On top of that piece of software, I'm going to load an ASIC driver, just like a video driver, right? So now I can install that ASIC driver to pass packets, and then and that'll be Psy, OpenNSL, that'll be Cumulus Switch D, that'll be Snap Routes, whatever they call theirs, ASIC, ASIC D, D. Yeah. or whatever. Because in general, hardware abstraction. Yes, right, right, right. So right. something between software and the hardware. In between the ASIC. And so you have that ASIC driver, and then now you have a fully functioning switch. And then I think that gets to your point. My operating system, everybody has kind of converged around Linux as the lingua franca of the data center both within the rack, but also just on the switch. And so now I have Linux, and I can just say, well, I'll just install an application on Linux. And Linux becomes my common API. Or I've agreed, if I look at something like the, um, the Sonic model from Microsoft, right? they've made an agreement on how software will communicate within that system. That's right. That's right. And then once you get to that point, then you can say, well, I need routing. Well, who do I go for routing? Well, there's Sixwin, there's free range routing, there's Bird, there's all these different options out there, some of which are open source, some of which are commercial, some of which have support systems behind them, and some of which don't. Um, and then once you get there, then you can say, well, now that it's a Linux box, why can't I just install Kafka on that? Why can't I just install Zero MQ? Why can't I just install whatever I want to? Well, guess what? You can. It's just now it's just a Linux box. And practically there are no reasons for commercial vendors not to go and distribute their application space and start selling Cisco, BGP, or Aristo, SPF, or Juniper. I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead here, but that's to me, that's the dream, right? I want to buy an Aristo switch. I want to run Cumulus Linux on it. 
I want it to run iOS XR BGP, and I want the Juno CLI to configure it. I, I, I'm going to take exception with one thing you just said, and that is that they don't have a, any disincentive to not put that software out. The reality is is that this is a huge threat to the existing market because or an it, opportunity. <laughs> well, <laughs> possibly, um, but it's incredibly disruptive to the existing I'll ecosystem. You, but I'll tell you where it's really disruptive. It's not disruptive where people think it is, honestly, because Cisco and Juniper and Arista could make an ASIC play and a software play because they have the experience and the coders who can do it and Ericsson, and Huawei, and on and on and on, Extreme, and everybody else. Right, but the problem, the problem is, is that when we, when we go to this system, where we split them out, we have hardware and software as, as separate, we can go to anybody for hardware, we're commoditizing it. This, right, right, this right, has right, happened right. in the PC right, right. market, right? So where they're making incredible profits off of that ASIC development and, and unique yeah. boxes that aren't available anywhere else, that's gonna go away. Now, it may go up somewhat in scale, I don't know if that's true I, or not, but like, are you really going to make up the difference between the profit levels they're making on the boxes now? I think we need to differentiate. So there's number of very high-end ASICs such as Juniper, Trio, whatever Cisco is doing on next-gen. Those are not replicatable in broad common environment, right? So they've got their own space, and they might stay there running ISXR, Junus, or whatever it is. However, when everybody is running the same Broadcom chip, saying it's unique to me, it's just... <laughs> Their survival mode is going right, to have to be absolutely. offer. So in this yeah. space, it absolutely makes sense to have immutable commodity and innovate and provide their software. Margins of software are much better than resetting some of yeah. those hardware. And, and you've, seen, you've seen some kind of tiptoeing in that direction. I think the, the biggest one that comes to mind for me is Arista came out with containerized EOS, right. right, CEOS. And all it is is really just a containered version of the OS to be a routing engine on top of right. Sonic. And, you know, that's clearly, to me, a play for Microsoft's business because that's Microsoft's application is Sonic. Um, but then you have to start saying, well, I'm going to go buy the Switch hardware and I'm going to get this free operating system and then I'm going to buy a routing stack that is basically as good as the free FRR routing stack. Okay, well, let me just, boop. I'm going right. to rip and replace COS with FRR. And so I think the point I'm trying to make is they've started to make those steps, but I think there's clearly a long way for those vendors right. to go to really make it commercially interesting. So in practical terms, well-designed BGP, well-proven with 20 years of history, probably scales a bit better than FRR and relatively fresh stack that you know, it takes yeah. time to mature yeah, sure. a stack. So there's an opportunity for established vendors to go and say, look, my BGP is better, and by the way, it can run on any hardware and abstraction layer on top of That's it. That's right. But I think the real threat that, that the, vendor, the vendors could actually survive this, right? They, they, they could sell the software and the hardware. For instance, Cisco could keep spinning customized ASICs. It's fine. They just build a driver for it that any operating system can run on and they sell that ASIC for a really high price. Like some people sell GPUs at a really, really high price because they're really good GPUs. That's fine. No, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but where it really kills everything is in the channel process and the way the channel is built today 
has to be completely different for Cisco to survive that. And there's going to be a ton of resistance to that. Right, right? Like, but, that's, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, I think, is where the real threat is. The real threat is not to Cisco or Juniper to Arista per se. There is a business model that they can work in here that will work for them. The real threat is but most of my sales come through a channel that makes most of its money off of kickbacks from the vendor like car dealers do, right, honestly. You know, you're buying your car for under invoice. Come on, let's be realistic. That salesman's getting paid. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that money is coming from the car manufacturer in order to pay that salesman because you're paying invoice. So there, that money's coming from someplace. That's crazy. So it's the same thing in the in the value added reseller world or in the in the partner world, right? You know, you're making most of your money not off of increasing the price over a Cisco box in order to sell services. You're actually living on the kickback from the vendor, and now that kickback from the vendor in a disaggregated world, where does that go? I mean. How are you going to make that work? So there's a, there's a channel issue here that, that's playing in as well. It's going to be very difficult to figure out. So there is very healthy market in integration, right? Not everybody can take software right, right, right. and integrate. It, but it, cha but it changes different, the model. Yes. It's yeah. Yeah. Dynamics the, the, are different. The, model. the current VAR ecosystem is not built to do what you're talking about, although it does exist. A, what we're saying is that you know that, that ecosystem is going to have to change if this were to become yeah. a reality in a larger scale than what it is right now. Right. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit, and and so let's say there's an engineering team somewhere who says, I want to try this, right? And there's really two directions or two questions I have about that is, is first, how are they, you know, if this is coming from engineering up, how, how do they have that conversation with leadership, like, hey, this is, I want to try it. The second thing is, how do you actually try it? Like, what, I'm not going to go and rip and replace and, and do everything with segregation right now, so how, how, how does one get started? So I can say that the, the wrong way to have the conversation is to say, oh, I heard Google is doing this. Oh, I heard LinkedIn is doing this. Oh, I heard Microsoft is doing this. That's the wrong way to have this conversation, in my opinion. Because then all you're doing is you're pushing into your management chain. But yeah, the, the immediate thing you're going to get back is, yeah, but, but Google has millions of dollars to hire. We're not, we're not Google. Yeah, we're not exactly. Google. We're not LinkedIn. That, that's what you're going to hear. I think that's the wrong conversation to have. I think the right conversation to have is, this is something that is different than we're used to, but... The business case is that we can separate the software buy from the hardware buy. There is a financial upside, but we're not driving to the financial upside because enterprises don't care about money. It's a myth. I mean, they think they do, but they actually don't. Well, right. and, and you even said, if we're going to go down this route, we need solid engineering. Most enterprises haven't been investing in solid engineering. Right. See the last episode we recorded about That's exactly right. <laughs> here That's at SDXA, exactly right? right. So, like, so, there, there's a, there's an issue there that there's going to be additional right. spend on the engineering side to to kind of well, right? And and so right, so you don't sell it as a cost savings up front. You sell it as a change in business direction. So you sell it as more of you know we talk about scale out right versus scale up. To me, disaggregation is more scale out. It's more scale out friendly. So it allows me to match the network scale to the business scale better. And I think there's a, there's a case to be made there. There's still sorry, a question, what does it do for me, for us, right? And you need to answer this question, otherwise you'll be buying next Cisco. And I think that's exactly the key. And I, I think you look at, it's easy to say disaggregation and immediately see, cool, I've got 
a bunch of wooden planks, I'm now gonna like build a dresser. And you're like, but I don't know, have any idea how to build a dresser out of a bunch of pieces of wood. And, and, I'm, and I'm really not sure I want to store clothes. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that's, you're like, really, what I needed was a bed. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I think it's easy to say disaggregation means, like, go pull it all together yourself and figure it out. And that's really hard. And if you're not a hyperscaler, it can be really hard to make that business case. And part of that's because that's a huge change that comes with a lot of risk to the organization, and it's probably not going to be palatable. And I think that's where kind of the, the vendors in the space, Cumulus, Big Switch, Dell, have come along and said, look, we are, we are the IKEA furniture, right? We're going to give it to you. Here are all the components you need. Here's a routing suite. Here's an operating system. Here are instructions on how to get it installed in the box. Here's a support number you can call and complain about anything. Need an RMA? We'll help you out. BGP session flapped? Cool. Call us. One throat to choke. And I think that you have to say, look, we're, we're getting rid of risk because that model we understand and we know. To expand on your analogy, we'll provide you delivery and people who are going to assembly furniture. Yeah, a white glove service, right? And so you say, look, we understand this model. This is how we've been doing business. We're going to do business the exact same way. Right? There's no change there. Yeah. We can start having conversations about how do we leverage this, this new way of doing business to improve that business process in the future. Yeah. And then at the same time, those engineers talking about bottom up, find something that provides value that one of those turnkey vendors provides you. So maybe you're looking at Big Switch and you're saying, look, this monitoring fabric is awesome and it's way better than Gigamon because of whatever reason. That's why we want to do it. Or you look at Cumulus and you go, look, we're doing Linux in the data center, and Linux on the switches would be super helpful. Or I want to model my routing data center. Routing on the host. Or routing on the host, right? Whatever the case might be, right? You find some use that actually, once you switch the model, then you can start d diving in and going, well, now that I've done this, now I can start thinking about how I make use of the change that I've made. And then you can actually start matching things better to the business. And then, and so where I've seen that success is the engineers that start to maybe play around with some VMs, and that kind of goes to your second question, like how do I get started? Almost all of the vendors, I know Cumulus does, I'm pretty sure Big Switch does, offer some sort of virtual lab that you can either download local or run on their cloud. And so you can build up this environment and you can start playing around and then, you know, work through maybe like a, a lunch and learn or a brown bag session or do a tech talk, or just have a one-on-one -on -one with your superior, you know, your manager, your director, and say, hey, look, this is the thing I've been working on in my spare time. This is a proposed solution. Maybe we should start like out of band with it, or our monitoring fabric in some, in some dev environment, and see how it goes. Because then if it blows up, we don't really care. And if it works and we understand this model, well, now let's start introducing perceived risk into the business by putting it top of rack and then maybe the spine layer as well in that data center. Right, I think that that's a key point. And, and the reason why I think it's important is I think that with these monolithic systems, we've gotten it in our head that when it comes time to replace it, we're replacing everything, right? We're doing this big swap out of, of equipment and you know, I need interoperability tests between everything and make sure that everything's gonna work because this is gonna be a huge change. The reality is, is that we can take this. So let's, you know, you start in the lab, but then you move into some level of production, whether it's, you know, like you said, monitoring or, or, or you know, something out of band or whatever. The, but even camp, the, but the campus where the CEO is, is, is a good. That's not a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but you start looking at, you know, okay, so now we're ready to take the next step. We don't have to replace every single rack in our data center. We can build a small little data center fabric that sits over here and has one or two racks and keep non-critical stuff in those racks, move stuff over as time comes along and get some experience. And I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. It can be a journey. It can be a process. Um, and, and, and actually, that's a healthy process anyway, honestly, from my perspective. Um, again, something else I've learned working with hyperscalers um, is, and a lot of people don't realize this, but the hyperscale community is actually a tight community in and of itself. I mean, we talk to people at Google, we talk to people at Microsoft, we talk to people at Facebook. I mean, it's not like we don't know each other and we don't talk to each other about what, what our challenges are and what we're working on. So one of the things I find fascinating about this particular community is people call this, they get very scared about this fail fast fail, you know, try and fail and fail fast, this fail fast concept, and the whole idea of canaries and the whole idea of just running it rather than doing full dev test. You do a smoke test and you put it in production. And this concept is, health, I think, is much healthier than the way we build networks today. I think we're very, our network, we're so encapsulated in, you know, buy two soups, buy two power supplies, get two UPSs from two different companies with two different power feeds. and Quad soup VSS. Yes, exactly. And and all this stuff that we're doing, we're trying to do. Good use money. Yeah, and, and we're, you know, we're you know, I mean, if that doesn't work, you can burn it for heat. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, I mean, I think it's healthy to take that approach where you say, I'm going to put two things that are not production critical or a couple of things in this rack, and then you know what? I'm going to move something that's production critical over there, but I'm going to keep somebody on the other end of a tether on a phone call that can move it back if they need to. And that actually gives me the skill set, starts giving me experience, not only with the network operating system, not only with the hardware, but also with the concept, the process process of saying, you know what, the network could fail. Now I need to start thinking about what does failure look like? I need to do failure management. And I think that actually can be a revolutionary concept in, in, in the networking world. There's yet another side, namely reducing complexity. Oh, so yes. If you are within closed system, whatever you do to it, complexity doesn't disappear. It only moves up, down, left, right. The only way to reduce complexity is reduce number of moving components and number of components at all. Yeah. So with degradation, we can actually reduce number of components in the system, yeah. remove all this unused code. Um, this is a really good point. This is one thing that drives me crazy. You buy this switch and it has 800 features on it. I'm yes. running four. Yes. When iOS makes 12 million lines of code, seriously? You're like, wait, wait, really? I need 12 million lines of code to move packets off of a desktop, a set of desktops? Right. What am I doing with 12 million lines of code sitting in a, in a, in a closet? So and there's someplace. a reason why vertically integrated systems are expensive. The amount of technical depth taken, the complexity exactly of right. the code drives the cost. The test environment, the development environment, it's not cheap. So by reducing number of layers, amount of lines of code, yes, exactly. you could really reduce the cost. Yes. Impact. On another side, especially in data center, you see people like Cumulus, others, they're not doing NSR, they're not doing ISSU, all those features that friends, cost. Friends don't let friends do ISSU. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. Friends don't let friends do that's, that's I need a shirt that says that. So, <laughs> I've done product management on routing for many years. If you take features that's, I don't know, 10 men years, and you 
introduce ICCO and NSRT, it becomes 40, right? Yes, yes. So all this stuff is kind of disappearing because presumably it's not needed in data center, but then you need to reduce complexity to keep the uptime, right? Yep, so there are kind right. of different metrics, but right. you have and, to and, do and this. It's, and it's a big deal, right? Yeah. And I mean, when you start talking about, and this is another thing I think the hyperscalers are driving, which is pretty interesting, is that LinkedIn runs a single SKU data center. And people don't understand what that even, you, you tell people, we run a single SKU data center, what does that mean? Well, we have multiple SKUs, but they're SKUs over generations. They're not SKUs over, when we build a pod, there is one optical interface, there's one PLIM, there's one switch, there's one piece of software, and there's one control plane, and it runs 300,000 10 gig boards. And so I think to put that more concretely, what you're saying is, I take a 32 port, 100 gig switch, probably based on Broadcom Tomahawk, yep. that's my top of rack, that's my, maybe my out of band, that's my spine, that's my super, super spine. Super spine, that's everything. If a switch dies, I just have a, a hundred of these in the corner that are exactly the same. And you that's reduce exactly. complexity by order of magnitude. Yep, You've that's got exactly your right. whole fabric speaking the same language, behaving in the same way, and by the way, if there's a bug, it hits you everywhere. That's right, <laughs> and, but well, that's true. But now think about that and merge that into your campus. You may not be able to do that in a WAN, in a wide area network necessarily, but, but push that to your campus and start thinking, yeah, I may have this campus over here on Gen 1 and that campus on Gen 2, but they run the same software. Maybe Gen 1, Gen 2 hardware, but they're the same software. And I can actually start managing this stuff, and it makes a lot more sense from a life cycle perspective. Yeah, I've, been, I've been talking to a, to a pretty large financial that's exploring the idea of doing a single SKU data center, right? They want to take one 32-port 100 gig switch, and they want to use a top of rack, spine, super spine, exit yep. leaf, everything. But at the same time, they're also exposing kind of the power of disaggregation in which they're finding, look, there might be a, we might be hitting a, a hardware limitation of that SKU. Here's another chipset that's 32 by 100 gig. That's that, right. Like, maybe we have to now do the analysis to say, do we want to do single SKU from an operations? Or do we want to have a leaf skew and a spine skew? Right. Or, or just like I may build compute and storage with different skews because I have processor heavy and storage heavy leaf nodes or, or you know, racks, I can build a network heavy rack that gives me a different type of rack switch mm -hmm. that goes in there. And it just connects to the fabric, but the fabric is just the fabric, right? I don't even know. From a yeah. fabric perspective, I don't know the difference. And I think the other thing that to me is really powerful, and I love to, I love to tell the story I told this morning. You know, I have a customer, they're a Dell customer, and I was talking to them one day, I was like, look, you guys buy a lot of Dell compute. You have a pretty good relationship with Dell. Um, you know, how, why Dell, right? What was it that made you have that decision? And they go, oh, they have rails that just snap on, you just clip them onto the side of the switch and they just clip into the rack. And so we can rack and stack a Dell switch in under 15 minutes. And I was like, really, that's it? And they're like, yeah, nobody else offers these things called speed rails or snap rails. And they're amazing and they revolutionize how we do data center ops. And that's why we buy Dell. And it's a, it's a silly reason but it's allowed them it to... doesn't sound silly to me. <laughs> well, that's the thing, it though. It sounds like, like a very legitimate reason. Exactly, right? They're it sounds like, like an engineering cost, decision to me. Yeah. Cost, whatever else, doesn't matter because this has huge impact on how we run our business because our remote hands can build a rack of servers and you know, have it running for us in under four hours. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's awesome. 
Like I love that you have that option, you have that choice, you can find the thing that made meaningful impact to your business and that became your purchasing decision. Yeah, and probably the right time to bring another side of the story. So we discussed simplification, reduced operational cost. Uh, another side is really when network is your core business. So people like financials, high performance compute, ability to innovate on top of software to have really great engineering organization already in-house, and ability to bring something that's completely unique to you on top of software just because it's Linux. You could yes. run it on top. In, in, ability to program your devices in such a way it gives you advantage. It's over one of those others. things where you, I, I look at the compute world and you're like, huh, maybe they were onto something by putting Linux on all the servers. What a novel idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually for me, to some degree, we bemoan the fact that companies are not building engineers anymore. We bemoan that the vendors are taking more and more of the engineering space. To me, to some degree, disaggregation is a way to push back. It's a way to say the network really can add value to the business. It's a, it's a way to turn the situation around and say, no, the network is not really just a cost center. Every company really does thrive on data, and the data has to run on a network. And doing this, get your cost and get your push pulls engineering resources back into the company and builds a more healthy environment where you actually have engineers who can go to meetings, right, Yvonne? This and is a problem. We go to meetings. We go to meetings, and most of the engineers that go to meetings cannot answer the business questions and cannot even answer the technical questions because they're seriously, all they know how to do is do CLI. They don't even know the protocols, they don't know anything on the engineering side. You talk to a server person, and they, and they can not only can they answer the business questions a lot of times, but they can sit there and they can say, well, if you buy this processor and you do that and you do that with this release and then you do that, and then they're at a level of technical ability that very few network engineers honestly are at. And I think that this is actually a way not just to reduce cost or whatever else, it's actually a way to make a movement, an organic movement to bring engineering back into the networking world in a very and healthy way. Timing is right with the ongoing digitalization transformation. Finally, yeah. networking could come off, out this dark corner and it's first class citizen. If your networking is not working, there's no digitalization. Right. You cannot move bits. Right. But, you, right. but to do that, you've got to have engineers. Absolutely. And you've got to have engineers who understand the business. But to understand the business, what disaggregation does is it says, to me, is it says, my software's tied to my business. My packets are tied to my hardware, right? So if my software's tied to my business, I need to start understanding the business to understand the software. Well, now that takes the engineering to a new level. It puts engineering back at the table. So to summarize today's conversation, we should create a sticker that says, save engineering, disaggregate. Yes. All right. All right. Make engineering it's a, great again. It's a new, oh, we went there. All right. Uh, so we, uh, this has been a great conversation on disaggregation. So thanks for joining us for this um, off the cuff. You can find us on Twitter uh, at NetCollectivePC. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook and iTunes. And so like and share and comment. And uh, we will see you again soon.